Welcome to Veg World Radio, where just a regular guy shows you how eating more fruits and veggies can help you feel, live, and love better. Now, here's best-selling author, health expert, and regular guy, Steve Prusak. I'm your co-host, Steve Prusak. It's great to be with you. And our next guest is Robert Cheek. He grew up in a farm in Carvallis, Oregon, where he adopted a vegan lifestyle in 1995 at the age of 15. Today, he's the best-selling author of the book, Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness, The Complete Guide to Building Your Body on a Plant-Based Diet. Well, let's welcome right now Robert Cheek. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, we're excited to have you, and they say it can't be done. You know, there's the myth that if you're vegan, you're going to be a skinny, scrawny guy, and that's just not true, is it? No, I think that's something that a lot of people thought of maybe 10 or 20 years ago, but we've certainly been changing the idea of what a vegan might look like, especially what a vegan athlete looks like over the last couple of decades. So my, you know, my background being a skinny farm kid before I was vegan and then turning into a champion vegan bodybuilder, it's just one of those examples after gaining 75 pounds and becoming quite a bit bigger and, and winning bodybuilding competitions. Obviously, that kind of caught on in the early 2000s, and now we have just thousands of vegan athletes all over the world. Now, this session is good for everyone, no matter where they are in their physical state or on their journey and whatever. So, right, I mean, it's important that we exercise, obviously, and get ourselves into the best condition. I mean, why do you think that is? Yeah, well, I think, obviously, we have, we all have this basic, um, basically, our, our basal metabolic rate, the number of calories we need to consume every day based on how many we expend. And the problem is a lot of us are really consuming many more calories than we really require and that we really need. And sometimes we're fooling ourselves as to how active we really are. We think, well, I'm training five days a week I, and I train for an hour every day. I'm going to be eating X number of calories more to fuel that active lifestyle. But sometimes we're really not as active as we think we are if we're really transparent and honest with ourselves. And sometimes we eat a little bit more junk food, including vegan junk food, than, than we really think we do, again, if we're totally transparent. So by actually being accountable and exercising on a regular basis and really having an emphasis on whole foods, then we get that win-win where we, we are healthy, we are fit, we are active, and this has a trickle-up effect that inspires those around us, our friends and family. Well, how does one build muscle on an exclusively plant-based diet without using supplements in this natural kind of way? Yeah, good question. Well, first we have to understand how muscle is built in the first place, and then we have to determine, well, then what role do supplements or food or anything else play in that? So the way muscle is built, understanding just, physiology of the body, is putting the body under stress, especially weight-bearing stress. In the form of resistance, weight training is the most popular, you know, lifting barbells and dumbbells. Of course, the same could be done through other uh, manual labor, for example, lifting heavy things, um, doing pull-ups, push-ups, body weight exercises, um, other work-related exercise that involves carrying, lifting, pulling. Basically, creating micro tears in muscle fibers by putting stress, physical stress, onto the body. And then what we need to do is eat amino acids, protein, and other nutrients to rebuild, 
re-strengthen and grow those muscle fibers, and that's how we actually build muscle. And so understanding that, okay, we know we have to exercise in a specific way, i.e. not running, for example. That's going to build endurance and lung strength and, and a greater aerobic capacity and all that kind of stuff, probably burn a lot of fat. But we need to put stress on the body, and then we need to eat healthy food. So if we want to build muscle, we have to look at where these amino acids come from. And it, as it turns out, uh, amino acids, much like vitamins, minerals, and other phytonutrients, come in their original form from plant-based whole foods. So if we're looking to get all these, uh, these essential amino acids and non-essential amino acids and building blocks of protein, we need to look no further than fruits, vegetables, nuts, grains, seeds, legumes for the absolute optimal sources of those nutrients. And so given that perspective, do we need supplements? Well, the answer is no, uh, because they're just replicating or trying to replicate or duplicate the role that real food that's provided in nature plays. The, where supplements might come in is simply someone's preference, convenience, flavor, uh, accessibility. They're just on the store shelves everywhere you go, kind of a laziness factor, or just, a, quite frankly, a preference factor. Some people like the taste and the flavor. But really, that's just a personal preference like so many other things, like the type of car you drive or type of computer you use. It doesn't, you don't have to have a certain model to accomplish a certain task, especially a basic one of building muscle. So at the end of the day, we have to be consistent with this weight training, not here and there once or twice a week. It's like learning a language. You have to do it day in and day out in order to improve and excel and then adapt and get better at it. So simply lift weights or other physical physically demanding activity on a regular basis, eat plant-based whole foods to nourish, rebuild, and regrow, and, and there you have it. Do that consistently, and you're going to build muscle on a plant-based diet, and thousands and thousands of people are doing that these days, and it's great. So are you saying we should be weightlifting every day? Like, What does what a routine look like for us if we want to get started on this? Well, yeah, well, rest is also important, and that can't be overlooked. You, when you're lifting weights, you don't want to train seven days a week, especially if you're training hard and training for an hour or longer. That is just simply too much on the body and understanding how tendons and, and muscles and ligaments and, and all of this react to stress put on them. You simply can't overdo it. So here's, a, here's kind of a rule of thumb that's followed by a lot of people uh, tried and true, tested for decades. And obviously, you can alter it, but a very common practice is to exercise with weight about five days a week. And a, the one way that a lot of bodybuilders like myself, or at least my, during my 10-year career in bodybuilding, these days I'm doing a little more running and total body exercise, but for 10 years in bodybuilding, the way that I was able to do it and maintain a strong physique and do well in bodybuilding was to focus on one or two muscle groups per day. So let's say day one, I would train chest. Day two, I would train back. Day three, uh, maybe I would train arms. And then day four, I'd have a rest day in there. And then day five, I would train uh, probably legs. Again, give the upper body another little bit rest day in there by training legs. 
the next day train shoulders and then and abs, maybe toss abs in there with shoulders or maybe throw in abs with arms. And then the day seven, have that as another rest day. So basically training two or three days in a row and then having a rest day, another two or three days in a row, another rest day, that kind of schedule. Other people would follow, and I did this for a while too, to train five days a week. Uh, sorry, five consecutive days and then rest on the weekend where you take a full Saturday and Sunday to let your entire body recover. And the way you can kind of break it up in that sense is by training upper body for two days, two or three days in a row and then train legs or abs or something like that that gives your, your arms especially, arms and shoulder joints a break, and then go back to upper body after that day of legs or abs. And following that kind of schedule allows time for recovery, allows time for rest, gives certain muscle groups a bit of a break, and it really helps you continue to move forward while building muscle all along the way. Well, if someone's listening in now and they they just want to get in better shape, they're saying, all right, wait a minute, Robert, I don't want to do bodybuilding. I just want to have a better body at the beach. So what's a good way to get started on that? And do you combine your weightlifting with cardio? How do we balance that? Yeah, and that's and that's a good question, and that really is the goal or objective for a lot of people. I mean, that's just not everybody wants to be a bodybuilder. Not everyone wants to pile on lots of muscle. And so, yeah, a great approach is to simply start by doing something. It actually it takes quite a bit of commitment to to really train five days a week with the busy lives that we all have. And so getting started by simply doing something you enjoy. I think that's really important because so many times exercise is a chore. We just don't feel like doing it. We just would rather do something else, and it becomes a lower priority. But if we can find something we actually like, like playing basketball or playing soccer or hiking, especially during summertime right now, Doing it, playing a team sport, playing a game, going for a run. If we can start with that and just compound on top of that by doing something the next day that we enjoy and the next day, and then if we can experiment with weightlifting and incorporate that or some other strength-building activity, maybe it's rock climbing, maybe it's uh, something else like playing football or, or something that's more uh, like a physical contact, maybe basketball, especially as a post player, something that w- really will work the upper body muscles. We incorporate that into it. Then all of a sudden what we're doing is we're adding in all that cardiovascular training, which is hiking, running, swimming, cycling, these typical you know, team sports, outdoor activities with a bit of resistance weight training or our own pull-ups in the park or whatever it is. And then we see this more well-rounded fitness schedule and therefore a more well-rounded athlete we should become, which is good for whether it's just a casual sport or getting ready to go. Like you said, we want to be in shape for the beach. In the summertime, let's go, let's get in shape and let's have fun with it. Well, that really well-rounded approach is, is a great way to do it. And, and it, it makes sure that you're doing things you enjoy and that you don't get bored of just going in there into a big box with air conditioning with the, the hundreds of strangers you don't know, which we call a gym. Why, why do that if you don't like it? So find something you like and incorporate a little bit of that, maybe once or twice a week, and, and you should really build up a great, a great body with great health that way. 
What are some of your favorite cardiovascular exercises? I mean, do you recommend rebounding? You obviously, you're jogging now. What, what are some of the recommendations? Well, again, I think it's different for each person, but since you asked for me, um, you know, I really do like jogging and like hiking and like I, like, I enjoy exploring around. So I make fitness fun in a way that allows me to jog around and see a new town when I'm traveling, see a new city. Uh, I particularly really enjoy being in the sun. It's something that, I mean, as you may know from being in touch over the years, I, I kind of move with the weather. So in the wintertime, I move down south to California or Texas. Right now, I'm in Oregon and British Columbia for, you know, for, the, for this summer season. So, you know, I, I like to go run and jog and, and hike. I, I like to find mountains, Camelback Mountain in Arizona when I pass through there or whatever the mountain is. I go hiking over the Pacific Palisades and, and uh, looking over the ocean in Southern California and Santa Monica area. So I, I like those kinds of activities. And, and really, even when it's cold outside, I enjoy simply getting on a stationary bike and just working, just sweating and just working hard. And I even use, I even use the rowing machine, especially when I'm training upper body that day. I like to warm up by using the, the rowing machine and get my back and shoulders and arms really warmed up. And I found that to be another great cardiovascular exercise. And one of the ones that I use when I'm preparing for bodybuilding, which I think is just a, a outstanding exercise, it's not the most fun, but it's really effective, is using the stair climber machine or actually going out to, let's say, a, a hotel um, or some or a stadium that has lots of stairs and climbing real stairs. I think that's just one of the best cardiovascular exercises you can do because it works the heart and lungs so hard while also building up your calves, hamstrings, quads, and glutes, and overall, it really, I mean, it affects your upper body, lower body. It's kind of this, this total body workout just climbing stairs. I mean, it's a it's a tough workout. So. Uh, I use all of those things just based on my preference, my location, and my end result I'm looking for. How important is form when weightlifting or performing some of these other activities like stair climbing and keeping our body in the proper position? Because if not, can that lead to injury? Yeah, absolutely. Form is really important. And not only form, but warming up properly, for example, is something to always be considered too. I mean, in my early days of bodybuilding, I could show up to the gym and just go over to a lap, pull-down machine, plug in whatever, 120 pounds, whatever it is, 130, 40 pounds, and just start pulling it down. And then my all of a sudden, I would, I would feel pain in my shoulder. <laughs> you, you know, I mean, cold muscles pulling lots of weight right away. Some people can do it, but across the board, it makes the most sense to warm up first, getting blood to those muscles getting blood flow and, and nutrients to those areas before we start putting a lot of stress on cold muscles, tendons, and joints, which can easily lead to injury. The same thing goes for form. And when doing especially weightlifting, we have to really know how to do the exercises. Luckily these days there are lots of people around the gym who are experts, be it trainers who are there working or people who are just seasoned lifters who can give advice. You can also look at charts, uh, diagrams of how to use machines, how to use equipment. A lot of gyms are really focused on that because they all, obviously they don't want their members getting hurt. They don't want 
potential lawsuits. They don't want people not coming to the gym as a result of being injured. They want a positive experience. And so they're really looking out for the best interest of the members and the athletes there. So especially with shoulders, that, that's a joint that is really fragile, gets injured a lot, much like the knee and the ankle, but I think the shoulder is the most vulnerable, especially because we use it so much in weight training. So understanding mechanics for pushing, for pressing overhead, uh, what angles to put our wrists in, uh, which then changes the angle of the, the impact on the shoulder, these kinds of things. That's important, and like I said, these days, pretty accessible. We have things like YouTube. You type in, how do I, how to do this exercise, how to do an overhead shoulder press. Boom, there's a million videos to show you how to do it. So form is important. Being injured is, is really a bummer. I've had, uh, I guess I've been a, a vegan athlete for almost 20 years now. I've certainly had my share of injuries, like, like we all tend to. And they can slow you down, but they can also really make you a little bit wiser, a little bit smarter as you learn from those experiences and think, well, maybe I, I shouldn't have done that. You know, maybe I let pride or ego get the best of me, and I, I tried to do more than I could. And next time I need to be a little smarter and ease into it and adapt and improve and, and really be in a position to do that lift rather than jeopardizing my lower back or my shoulder or knees or whatever just for the, the sense of, uh, pride or or setting a new record. So part of it comes down to just our mental approach too, and making sure we're we're not overextending ourselves, if you will. If someone's new to this and they want to try weightlifting, say, so what would you recommend to her when she goes into the gym if she she doesn't have any idea how much to be lifting? What's a good guide to figure out how much weight someone should try pressing and that kind of thing? Ab- absolutely, good question. So what she should do is go to the gym and first have, have an understanding of the exercises to begin with. Make sure she's doing them right, not, uh, not using improper form or uh, somehow jeopardizing health of, of joints or muscles because of a technique flaw. So first, get some sort of understanding, which could easily be just asking somebody who works there uh, and, and, and hopefully in a no pressure sales environment where they're not trying to get you to sign up for personal training sessions, but they just, they're just there to help you. And you could even make that clear, like, if you're not interested or if she's not interested in getting personal training sessions, but just simply wants to kind of get her feet wet, get started, learn the ropes a little bit with some sort of introductory lesson. Most gyms have someone there who will help with that, including especially the smaller gyms. They just love having new members come in and, and are enthusiastic about people who are interested in fitness, and they'll help get started. Another thing, so let's say this, in this example, uh, she goes to the gym and has a basic idea of how to do the exercises. Just want, Maybe it's been a little while or is rekindling this interest in athletics, wants to really push it forward. I think a good rule of thumb is to find a weight that you can comfortably do about 20 repetitions with. Just to, get, just to really get re-familiar with that, that movement. And so if you're doing, I don't know, let's say a bench press or with dumbbells or a barbell, it doesn't really matter, or even a machine, find a weight by, kind of by trial and error here. Just, you, you kind of walk in, and if it's been a while, you just kind of guess. And guess on the lighter side. Pick lighter weight. And if you can do 20 reps pretty easily, that's a good place to get started. And then what you really want to aim for is somewhere between 8 and 12 repetitions 
in order to really see some sort of result. But, again, you want to ease into that at first. And that also acts as a nice warm-up. When you get about 20 reps, do that for a few sets. They say, okay, chest, remember this exercise. It's been a while, but we're going to get familiar with this again. And then start adding some more weight and do a couple of proper sets, aiming between 8 and 12 repetitions. And that's just something that's been proven by a lot of people to have a, have a nice muscle-building, muscle-toning effect by doing that, uh, that range of repetitions. Good advice. Now, a lot of people struggle to burn fat and build muscle, for that matter. Can you explain how this process actually works? Yeah, it, it is a it's a confusing topic because I go around and give lectures all over the country, or over the North America, or the world. Just many like much like many of the other vegan palooza presenters, and and I can ask the audience like who is who is really at one point in their life wish they could lose five or ten pounds or burn fat or whatever. And almost everybody raises their hands. At one time or another, we've all wanted to lose a little bit of fat here and there. And then my follow-up question is, how many of you know how this process works? And, I mean, essentially, no hands go up. And we just, we're just baffled by this. We, we don't know how, how, to act, how the body actually burns fat. And then I, I can follow up by saying, well, how can we expect to achieve this result if we don't know how the process works to get there. It's just we're just beating our head against the wall. And for many of us, we may never achieve it. We may never be able to lose that weight or burn that fat because we just don't know how to do it and we don't put ourselves in a position to do it. So here's basically how it works in, in a nutshell. So we use, when we eat, we, we eat uh, carbohydrates, fats, protein. We consume water, all these different things. Uh, and in order to get ourselves into a fat-burning zone, we have to burn through this fuel. So we typically eat before exercising, and whether it's right before or a couple hours before, whatever the case is, and then we go through our exercise program. Well, the, the, the way it works is there's actually about, there's this figure that it takes about an hour to burn through all those glycogen stores, all those available carbohydrates to use as fuel. So if we don't go through that process of, I don't know, about an hour or so of burning through carbohydrates, we don't get to our secondary fuel source, which is fat. And so what we have to do is burn through our carbohydrate stores first in order for the body to call upon fat as fuel, and then we burn fat. So there's a couple of ways to do that. Probably the number one most effective way to burn fat is to exercise first thing in the morning on an empty stomach. And, and why does this work? Well, it works because we've gone, if we're lucky enough to get eight hours of sleep, we've gone for about eight hours without consuming anything. We don't have these built-up uh, carbohydrate stores from food that we just ate to have to burn through. So, theoretically, once we wake up and start exercising, we have to call upon fat as our fuel source. And so there we are doing whatever exercise we're doing, running or, or cycling or swimming or hiking, weightlifting, whatever it is, and we have fat as fuel to burn, and therefore we burn fat. The other way to do it is to exercise for more than an hour, which can be that, that's a total of, of warming up and, and lifting weights and all the different things that we're doing in the gym, let's say, 
and then follow that up with some cardiovascular activity, which, which then puts ourselves into a fat-burning zone, and, uh, and away we go. So what most people tend to do is go to the gym and, let's say, hop on the treadmill for 30 minutes. Well, and then they, and then they get a little bit frustrated because week after week, sure enough, they haven't burned off very much fat. So what they're doing is they're, they're enthusiastic, they're, they're on the right track in some ways, but they're going there running for 30 minutes, but they're not putting themselves into a fat-burning zone. Sure, they're strengthening their lungs, their heart, developing calf muscles likely and, and leg muscles probably, uh, upper leg and glute muscles, no doubt, but they're not really doing a whole lot for fat burning. And so, and furthermore, many people are taking sugary drinks or gels or supplements to consume during a workout. Well, what does that do? Well, it adds more calories to have to burn through in order, especially carbohydrates, it adds carbohydrates and total calories to burn through in order to finally get to fat burning, which essentially just postpones that and now makes us have to exercise longer and longer and longer in order to get to a fat burning zone. So, so it really, in, in summary, the, what the best thing we can do is just wake up in the morning and do some exercise, even if it's just 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Guess what? It didn't take you an hour to get there. It didn't take you an hour because you ate before working out to put yourself into a fat burning zone. You're, you're starting at a fat burning zone. So just train for 20 or 30 minutes in the morning if fat burning is your goal. I do want to mention, though, that you're not going to be at your strongest. You're not going to, you're not going to set your record at bench press or squats or deadlifts in, in the morning on an empty stomach. That can be done later on in the day. But if you want to focus on fat burning, that's the best time to do it. So first thing in the morning for whatever desired amount of time you want or simply go through a regular workout of whatever sport you play and then tack on an extra 25 minutes or so of jogging or cycling or stair stepper or whatever after your primary workout, and, and there you have it. Now you're in a fat burning zone, and this is what I've done for 10 years as a bodybuilder as well. I simply follow that model, and I go from 195 pounds and shed down to like 174 pounds to make middle weight, and I maintain most of my muscle. I just cut out, I cut out fat and, and water weight, and it, it works. Time and time again. And how soon after that morning workout would you want to consume the first meal of the day? I don't know. And what would that look like? Maybe a smoothie or what would that be? Yeah, I, you know, right away, really, because you, you already woke up. You haven't had any food in a while. And on top of that, you exercise. You put yourself through a strenuous activity or a mildly strenuous activity of, of exercise. So I like to eat right away, right after that. I mean, and really, you start this recovery process. Just like in the, in the terms of building muscle, too, we want to get amino acids back in the body, carbohydrates, protein, essential fats, all these things that are going to help us rebuild and recover. It's usually a good idea to, to eat relatively soon after the workout. And you might even find that your, your meal is going to be a little bit larger because not only is it breakfast after sleeping for eight hours, it's following a, a workout, too, which usually uh, increases our appetite a bit. Anytime after a workout, we're really looking to replenish. It's just kind of our natural instinct to bring back in nutrition that's lost 
to exercise is we're burning calories. Obviously, we want, we want to replenish with calories, and along with that comes uh, electrolytes and all these things that we, we definitely need to replenish. So yeah, whether it's a, it can be a smoothie, it can be it can be fruit, it can be greens, it can be a combination of food, which is really a great idea because then you get a wide variety of nutrition by eating lots of different types of foods. So it could be oatmeal with fruits and nuts. Um, it could be a juice if you if you uh, if you like to juice fruits and vegetables, um, or like you suggested, a, a smoothie. Something like that is a great way to refuel with plant-based whole food right after exercise. What about fat intake? Is following a vegan diet, do we have to be careful of that when we're trying to get to our best uh, physical condition? You know, for example, do we want to eat lots of nuts or do we have to be careful of of fats in our diet? Well, I I think we all really need to be conscious of what we're consuming in general. And most of us, are really not aware of, of what we're consuming. And that's one of the things I really like to highlight in my, in my talks. I don't like to be like a, a downer in some sort of ways when I talk about accountability and transparency and consistency and things like that. But I think they're just, they're profoundly important that most of us have no clue what we're, what we're eating. We, we, have, we may say, I'm, I'm vegan and I eat all these salads and all this stuff. Well, well no, you don't. <laughs> I mean, not if you're really honest because you go out to eat with your friends and, and you have these, these junk food things that are, that, that are really almost like staples in your diet because of the convenience and the flavor and all this kind of stuff. We're, we're simply, we're not always as aware as we probably should be. So, yeah, becoming aware of our fat consumption is important because certain fats are a little bit harder to find. Omega-3 essential fatty acids are a little harder to find. In fact, when it comes to nuts, they're only found in one. They're found in walnuts. They're found in plenty of seeds, flax seeds and chia seeds and hemp seeds and, and some, uh, some other greens, but they're, you know, they're, they're a little bit harder to find, but they're, cool. they're really important. And so if we're aware of how much we're consuming of, let's say, omega-6 versus omega-3, becoming aware of that, we can alter our our diet and alter our, our food intake to reflect what our goals are, what we really want to do. And also, you know, sometimes you know, just because we're, we're vegan or follow a plant-based diet, we may assume that we're eating low fat or fat falls within a certain percentile, but not always the case when we look at the, the foods that we, the comfort foods that we often eat, the processed foods that we often eat. And so, we may be taking in a lot more fat than we think and, and not necessarily the good types of fats that are super helpful for, for joints and for brain function and muscle function and, and all these kinds of types of things. So in general, here's what I, what I really suggest for, and this can be a really helpful tool, I think, is to simply document what we eat for a week or so, maybe even longer, maybe two weeks. Document everything that we consume and to the best of our ability, write down the, the quantity, the size, the volume, um, even the time of day. And it could be revealed that, wow, I didn't even realize that my body really only needs about 3,000 calories a day based on my age and gender and activity level, but I'm eating like 4,500 calories a day. No wonder I'm, I'm adding extra fat. I just didn't realize that vegan pizza or, or this food or that had that, mu- that much fat or calories in it. That can be revealing. Also, we could find out that, wow, 
I know we're supposed to drink a lot of water, that the brain is mostly water, muscle is mostly water, the body is mostly water, and most of these organs and areas of the body are 70% water. And wow, I only drink about a cup and a half a day. I never realized that. If these can be really telling uh, statistics that can help us move forward. So whether it's being aware of our fat intake, our protein intake, our, our carbohydrate intake, our fiber intake, whatever it is, I think it really is important to document it to have a really accurate uh, baseline to call from. Because if we meet it with a naturopathic doctor or holistic practitioner or general practitioner or even just enter in our statistics into a computer program, it's good to know where we really are starting from, not just what, not just where we think we are. So that transparency, I think, is really important, and not just for fast, but for everything. Well, what is the current state of the vegan athlete culture, especially when compared to what it was like five to ten years ago? Well, Steve, it's grown like crazy. I mean, it, it, it's it's unbelievable, really. As I look back, I became a vegan athlete in 1995, as you said during the intro. And that, that was a long time ago. That was basically when the Internet was one year old. The public Internet was about a year old. I didn't know anybody else who was a vegan athlete back then, quite frankly. I got into it for animal rights reasons. I was in high school. I was only a sophomore. Didn't even have my driver's license yet. And... When I, when I finally got around to making a website years later as I became a bodybuilder and gained all this muscle and it was kind of a uh, unique thing, not a lot of people were doing it, I created a website with a, basically a population of one, just me, blogging before blogging was even a word. And, and sure enough, be, by telling that story, and of course I did lots of outreach and I would start to give talks and I would travel and even put little flyers on telephone poles around Berkeley campus and other campuses. University of Oregon, where I thought people might be interested in this whole lifestyle. And, uh, you know, using social sites like MySpace back then, I connected with people. And our site grew and grew and grew and grew. And, and now it has you know, tens, tens of thousands of, of members. And there are athletes all over the place, vegan athletes all over the world, from strong men in Germany, like Germany's strongest man who's, who's vegan, to elite athletes in elite sports like, like Venus Williams in professional tennis and, uh, and many others from all different sports backgrounds, especially endurance sports. Scott Jurek, Rich Roll, Brennan Brazier, I mean, some of the best out there. So it's, uh, you know, it's been growing really, really fast, and especially, I want to really mention, especially in the last few years. I mean, like I said, I've been at it almost 20 years, but the growth around the whole forks over knives releasing time, that, that the last two or three years has been incredible. Uh, I mean, it's just common now to see other vegan athletes at gyms and anywhere America to bump into people to, uh, just around town to see online groups growing like crazy. And uh, I think that speaks volumes to the fact that this is a diet and lifestyle that has always been a good idea. It just wasn't always promoted or marketed. And it wasn't something that a lot of mainstream people were following. But now that it is, mainstream people in, in all areas of, of pop culture are interested in this, surely it's going to benefit athletes too. And we're seeing that now. And uh, I, I think the next tipping point or the next turning point 
is when we get a, a really a, a, like a LeBron James type of figure to embrace a plant-based diet, and then I think we're going to see a, a real cultural shift in mainstream athletics. Right now we have a few NFL players and a few NBA players and not necessarily the biggest names, but some, some pretty good athletes and some great runners, but that's not really a popular sport these days. But when we see some of the best hockey, basketball, baseball, and football players, and those in, in professional women's sports too, embracing this, that's when we see this epic cultural shift, and that's going to be really fun. And it may be coming before we know it. I mean, the last three years, we've probably made more progress in this whole vegan movement, if you will, than in the last uh, two or three decades. I mean, we've really come a long way in the last couple of years. So no doubt it's going to impact the vegan athlete culture, or sorry, the, the, the mainstream athletic culture too, and we're happy to be part of that. Well, a lot of this information just was never there. When you were, if you were interested in bodybuilding or fitness, the information out there was about, I mean, most of the diets recommended lean chicken and things like that. Yeah, exactly. There weren't, I know you have a magazine out. There are other magazines out that are veg-focused. Uh, you know, we have so many books these days. Before, there was just a couple of books. And now there are hundreds of books just covering vegan cooking. You know, I mean, and now I have a book out there, Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness. But guess what? There are tons of other vegan athlete books, too. And there's a new one coming out called No Meat Athlete. There's Brendan Brazier's books. There's one called The Vegan Athlete. I mean, they're just, they're all over the place now. And, yeah, you're right. And, and with the online culture, this Internet that's 15 or 17 years old now, whatever it is, uh, maybe it's getting close to 20. I haven't done the math. But um, it's, uh, it's making everything so much more accessible. And also an important thing to take into consideration is the fact that there's community there. I mean, how many people, how many times have you heard this, Steve, that people are like, I'm the only vegan in my, my family, I'm the only one I know, you know, holidays are such a tough time, and I wish there, I was, I'm the only member of my team who lives this way, and such a hard time, this and that. Well, those days are really behind us now. Those, that, that was back in the 90s, early 2000s. Now we have online communities that support every athletic interest, and there are other people who are doing it from world champion vegan athletes to weekend warriors to people in your own community that you can meet up with in, in regional meetups or at a vegetarian festival or at a health and wellness conference, the community is there. And so everybody now feels not only like they have information at their fingertips through magazines, the Internet, and books, but they have communities of, of real people that they can connect with and be inspired by and learn from and also each individual person now has the ability to be a role model in ways that you really you, you had to be on TV a couple decades ago or to be a great musician or actor or something like that or an athlete to be a role model. Now, anybody can build their own website and tell their own story. And everybody has a story to tell. Few ever tell it and even fewer tell it well. But when you really tell it, you can inspire a whole group of people and that just continues with this trickle-up effect. So uh, I'm just ecstatic for what the current situation is like for vegan athletes and the accessibility of the information. Well, what are your new projects? What's on the horizon for vegan athletes in the coming years? Well, I've got a lot of fun stuff going on, including a new book 
Mm. And um, in fact, I actually just got off the phone with an agent in, in, uh, out in Hollywood right before you phoned me, and, and I also heard back from my publisher uh, about my book proposal uh, minutes before you you phoned me, which was uh, interesting timing, uh, serendipitous, if you will. So I, I have a new book that I'm working on called The Plant-Based Athlete, a whole food uh, a whole food guide to improving athletic performance, or, or a whole food approach to improving athletic performance, subtitle. And it's really based on um, my collaborations with Forks Over Knives over the years and following my uh, course through Cornell University, the T. Colin Campbell Plant-Based Nutrition Certification course, and really challenging some of the ideas that I, that I believed in as far as protein consumption, caloric intake, uh, various other areas, and uh, whole foods versus processed foods, for example, supplementation, all these different things were, were challenged in some way and got me to think differently. And so I, I started collaborating more with the Forks Over Knives community and uh, met with Dr. Campbell months ago back in March and told him about this new project I was working on, and he was really excited about it. And I, I thought it would just be a great... Uh, a great new addition to the literature that's already out there. And so I started following that whole food approach to athletic performance myself and really cut down on the uh, processed foods and supplements and extra things like that and just started eating food and exercising and, and tested out what the results would be. And sure enough, I, I entered a race. Um, it was a three-hour timed race and trailed out in Austin, Texas, and, and I ended up winning that race and set a new course record and covered 22 and a half miles uh, on this really windy trail course, even though I just kind of was hoping to finish without walking or without having to walk for too much. But, but it worked well for me, and I entered another race and got second in that race. And, and then I decided, well, even though I've been away from bodybuilding for a couple of years, let's give that a go again just for fun. So no one really even knows it, but I competed a few months ago in bodybuilding after taking four years off, basically kind of retiring from bodybuilding to focus on just general fitness and riding and traveling. But but I, I got on stage in May and, and did a bodybuilding competition, and then two weeks later ran a half marathon. And that's kind of what, and then two weeks later ran another half marathon. And that's kind of what this new approach is. It's about eating the optimal foods for athletic performance, going to the original source eating the, the best nutrition, and then following areas of, of interest in athletics and being consistent and accountable and transparent and just simply sitting back and watching the results. So, therefore, if I want to compete in bodybuilding, I need to train and eat like a bodybuilder. I don't need to change anything. Even my, my macronutrient percentages don't even need to change. I don't need to all of a sudden take supplements. I simply need to eat more volume and uh, and get more total calories, therefore most, more total protein and everything else based on that lifestyle. If I want to run long distances, 20 miles at a time or half marathon or full marathon at a time, I simply need to alter my whole food meal program to eat high-carbohydrate, long-lasting, slow-releasing, complex carbohydrates, starchy foods, this kind of thing to nourish that lifestyle and aid with recovery from that sport, guess what? If I'm consistent with my training and if I care about it and have specific goals in mind, then that it's a recipe that's going to work. And so I'm 
kind of experimenting on myself and, uh, and, and telling those stories in this book and also incorporating lots of other plant-based athletes that were doing this too into what I hope will be a really successful new book project. So that's one thing I'm working on, and I'm working on many other aspects with veganbodybuilding.com. We, we have sponsored a, a team of, of vegan athletes. We're supporting other athlete endeavors, um, other, other groups and group efforts, and, and we're creating more new content on a weekly basis. And uh, it, it's, been, it's been fun, and I'm sure there's even more projects on the horizon, too, and uh, those will reveal themselves once some of these other really important ones get completed and, and off to the market to reach a lot of people. Wow, exciting. So these shifts in your diet, it's creating, you're becoming an even better athlete than before now? Yeah, and, that, and that's something I wasn't so sure about. That's what a lot of people wonder, like, okay, so I've been using supplements for eight years, and I, and I still don't have, or sorry, I have more than that. I've been working for a supplement company for eight years, um, working with Vega, and uh, I've been using supplements for even longer, and I, I still don't have necessarily a significant problem with supplements. I simply wanted to experiment with just eating food only because it, it seemed to make sense. After Dr. Campbell's work, Dr. Esselstyn's work, Dr. McDougall's work, all these experts were saying that if the best sources of nutrition come from real food, shouldn't that be the same sources of nutrition for athletes who are trying to excel? And so I was a little nervous at first, especially letting go of protein supplements. I just, I really enjoyed them because I, I thought that they added a lot to my program, and maybe they did. I don't know for sure, but maybe they did. And I like the taste, and I, I have access to them working for a company and getting free products from other companies. You know how it goes. It's so, so much easy access to them. But I decided that, well, I'm going to stop using them. I'm still going to exercise. I'm still going to try to lift heavy weights, and I'm going to try, I'm going to, try to run very fast. And I'll see what this diet will allow me to do. And sure enough, yeah, I did. I lifted heavier weights. I set some new record lifts. I got really strong. I got fit. And then when I got a little too enthusiastic and was uh, trying to set new records lifting and, and injured myself, um, I had a wrist injury, which required, obviously, taking a break from upper body lifting. I thought, well, okay, time to get the shoes back on and lace them up and put the running shorts on and see if we can still do this. And I hadn't run in a decade. I mean, it's, it'd been a long time, more than a decade, because I was bodybuilding. It was, I had to start over from scratch. I, I could only run about two miles. I was winded. It, was, it just wasn't something I had been used to for the last 10 years. But I, again, uh, in a whole food diet, especially a lot of fruit, a lot of fruit and a lot of vegetables and greens, I was able to build up the endurance again, build up the strength, and even after only a few months of training, entered some races and got first and second in those. And, and really, most importantly, I mean, I just, I was able to run distances like 22 and a half miles at a pretty fast pace and, uh, and excel in that. So, so yes, I, I think I can conclude with whatever documentation I made during the switch, documenting what I was eating and types of foods and for how long I was doing this and I'm, well, I'm still doing it, but. I documented some of this. I could say that, well, I'm, I, I think I did get, get a little bit better as an athlete, and, and it's still early. I've, I've only been doing this for about a year now with this whole food approach, and 
uh, and I've had two different very extreme levels of the on the athlete continuum. You're running to bodybuilding. Imagine if I just focused on only one of them, maybe I would have had uh, more dramatic success or results. So that's maybe the next chapter of this experiment is to just focus on one of those sports interests or something totally new, a different sports interest, and, and continue to give it a shot and document it. Document it. And obviously, I'm not getting any younger, you know. So as I age, I'm in my early 30s now, 33, I can still see these improvements. And I think it's encouraging for a lot of people that uh, this kind of diet that is so focused on high nutrient yield and results that it, it will supply everything and be very conducive to athletic interest, even at a, at a high level. Right. I mean, look at Rich Roll in his 40s. <laughs> exactly. I mean, that, and that's kind of, that's inspiring stuff. And, and it doesn't matter where you start from. Sometimes we, I think we, we really sometimes say, oh, poor me. You know, I wasn't athletic my whole life or I let myself go and I gained all this weight or, or I've even been down that road. I had an injury or two and thought, oh, I'm, I'm not the bodybuilder I used to be. I don't want to be on camera or in media or interviewed or anything like that. But understanding that, well, there's still plenty of other things I can do, and I don't have to really say, oh, poor me. I can just get right back out there, do what I can do, what I'm, what I'm healthy enough to do based on injuries or, or interest or time or whatever, and, and put forth a good effort and excel and realize that the nice thing about plant-based diet is that one, one can really have a, a nice long career. Longevity is really on our side in that way. And whether you're in your 30s or 40s or 50s or wherever you are, you can still keep on going at a a pretty competitive rate. And I think that that is inspiring for a lot of people. If I remember right, last time I interviewed you, weren't you working on another book that was unrelated to fitness? Yeah. Yeah, I've written a few personal development books, motivational books. Right. Called like Your Personal Best and Take Action and Make It Happen. I even wrote a book about, uh, kind of a book about quotes, kind of a, um, coffee table type book. None of these actually have made it to print yet. That's something that, you know, I just, for whatever reason, working with an editor, it just didn't quite get there, or I wasn't really confident that it was the right time. And uh, I never really went moved forward with some of those. I even wrote about half a dozen children's books. Writing is something, writing is something that has been a passion of mine since I was a teenager. And I even wrote a 100-page book when I was in high school. It's one of those things I've always been interested in, but I've always been a little bit of a perfectionist as well, and I'm trying to become less less of one these days. And so I've never been fully satisfied with how the books have, have come out, and I haven't wanted to publish them. Even my first book, the one that, or at least the first one that went to print, vegan bodybuilding and fitness, I mean, the day I sent it off to be printed, I found a million things I wanted to change, even though I spent months and months and months uh, editing it, even when I thought the book was already done, I spent another eight months trying to fix it. (laughs) So part of that is just my own mentality, and that's for bringing in an agent and others in my own really personal writing career are going to help me steer things in the right direction and, uh, and get things completed rather than a lot of enthusiasm put into them because that's just where my interest lies. 
where I, I write hundreds of pages and then never get published anywhere. And I say, okay, on to the next project. Let's start whatever my new interest is. Let's pursue that now. So, you know, in, in due time, I guess, in due time, we'll get those books out there. And partly, I, I mean, I think I also need to become a little more successful if I want to write motivational books or self-help books. I think I need to tell a more compelling story first. I think I have a lot of good ideas about following your passion and being consistent with your, your effort and, you know, and really have, finding meaning and actions and doing things that are worthwhile and maximizing 1,440 minutes in a day and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But I don't know that I've been successful enough to really um, get those out there to the market yet. You know, so I guess, I guess uh, time will tell. Yep, plenty of time ahead. Yeah, that's <laughs> sure. So, Robert, where can people find out more about vegan bodybuilding and fitness and get more involved? Absolutely. So, veganbodybuilding.com is our main website, and we're really, really active on Facebook and Twitter. I mean, we have some great groups on Facebook, and one is actually, or great groups or pages, I guess. One is veganbodybuilding.com on Facebook, and another one is vegan bodybuilding and, and fitness group on Facebook, and then I have my own personal pages as well. But if you just go to veganbodybuilding.com, you find links to our Facebook pages and, and groups, and we have an online forum with about 10,000 members. It's been around for almost a decade, so um, about eight or nine years we've had that forum going where I've met most of my, most of my friends and colleagues, really. So uh, that, that resource alone will point you in the, in the direction of so many other great vegan athletes and leaders in this community, and you'll find out about books and and ebooks and DVDs and clothing and products and all that kind of stuff that that may be of interest to people. Well, great, Robert. You know, usually I say, is there anything else we haven't covered? But this has been really comprehensive. Yeah, we yeah, we did cover quite a bit, and I appreciate you uh, allowing me to ramble a little bit as I try to <laughs> bring it all home and, and tell a few different aspects of um, of health and wellness, which. This is not just what we eat and what we lift, but obviously the intent we put behind it, the consistency we put into it, and the desire and specifics of our goals. So thanks for letting me cover some of those aspects as well. I really appreciate it. Edge World Radio. Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate it, and we'll, we'll catch up next time. For sure. Robert Cheek, he's the author of Vegan Bodybuilding and Fitness, The Complete Guide to Building Your Body on a Plant-Based Diet. The website, again, veganbodybuilding.com. Thanks again, Robert, and thank you all for being here. I'm your co-host, Steve Prusak. Veg World Radio. You've been listening to Veg World Radio. Discover how eating more fruits and veggies can help you feel, live, and love better. 